Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm a co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. I always say that we are capable of so much more than we realize it. And I really believe that. And I, 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 I don't feel any different or any special. I just think that at that time, that was normal. But, you know, really, it's, it's strange when the chips are really down, when you're really, really struggling. You know, you can manage, you can carry on, you don't have to stop. And I, 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 I don't, as I say, I don't think I've done anything more than anybody else of my time would have done. I just feel that, you know, bring the Davies and bring the Nicks <laughs> and bring the Lears and put them into the same kind of situation. Sure enough, you would come through. Nicola. Hello, Lear G. Not Davy. Not Davy, guys. As you would have heard in our intro, you would have thought Davy was going to be on today's podcast. But no, we got Leah chatting to Harry Bertha today. The, the reason is simple. Me, Davy's not a runner anymore. Davy is a cyclist and he has been relegated to the <laughs> cyclist's corner. This is a running podcast and he has absolutely no relevance in this space until he can run again. That's yes, why. Which apparently tells me he's <laughs> going to be next week. So hopefully he is going to be making a comeback soon. He's been getting onto Zwift. His shoulder's doing better. He is about three weeks out of uh, Cape Town Marathon. Still very hopeful of running that marathon. So for those of you wondering, where is Davey? He will be back on, on the next uh, podcast. But guys, it also is a reason for, for, for Leah being on today is that our guest today is someone that means a hell of a lot to both myself and Leah. We go a long way back uh, as, as far as our running journeys go. I mean, we only started running in our community in 2018, 2019. So that's as far as we can go back. But one of the first people that we got introduced to and actually met uh, was Harry Bertha. And he's been inspiration ever since we got to know him. And he still is extremely inspirational. And we, we, we've been trying to get him onto the podcast. We've been trying to get his story, share the story with, with our running audience. But running out to retirement years is actually very busy business and the cv that harry boasts speaks for itself i mean he is one of only 77 south african residents to hold the title of world abbott majors now world abbott majors is something that you may be hearing about right now because obviously we're talking about the cape town marathon hoping to become the seventh major but yeah. before this the majors weekend. were even a thing or a six star harry already held the five-star majors. So he's been doing this this running thing for quite some time now. Yes, he has. And he hasn't because the interesting thing about Harry is that he only started running after his retirement years, which at 65, 66, he started his running journey, which makes the achievements that he's, he's gone on to run even more special. You know, he's run 19 marathons across the world. He's done extremely difficult events. One on a, every continent of the world. One on every co continent, including the North Pole. So he's, he's part of a very select 
group of people that call themselves the Marathon Grand Slam for having run a marathon on all seven continents as well as the North Pole. So he has seen it all. He's heard it all. He's tried it all. He's in, run it all. <laughs> in, in a very short time in his running in his running history. Harry turned 82 yesterday, Yeah, uh, which makes it even more incredible. Some of the things that he goes on to talk about, it's, it's so far removed from today's society. Like he speaks about his first trip overseas in the 1960s and, and how he had to take, <laughs> you know, multiple flights and ferries and boats to get to Canada eventually from Northern Rhodesia. Like it's, it's an extremely inspiring story. Uh, there's always more to it. Every time we chat to Harry, we find out something more about a specific marathon that he ran, whether it's his stories from Boston Marathon in 2010 or his experiences from Tokyo Marathon in 2019. He's got it all to share. And I think it's quite exciting as well. Obviously, with the world majors, as Leah mentioned, we got a couple of big world majors coming our way this weekend we got berlin marathon in two weeks time we've got uh, chicago marathon before the end of the year it's new york marathon of course you would know all about this if you had signed up to our newsletter so guys it's important if you if you do want to catch up with the pod and find out who our next guests are where we're going uh, some tips and tricks of the trade go onto our website and subscribe and of course, we don't want to keep you any longer because this is a really a slightly longer podcast. It is filled with absolutely epic adventures. But if you are a Spotify listener, we do encourage you to check out the new and integrated poll segment. It's a great way for us to get to know about you, your goals, why you do this running thing, why you arrive here to listen week on week. But this really is one of my favorite episodes. I do encourage you to get comfortable, maybe grab something to drink and really settle in because this this is one of those podcasts that it's going to get you amped for what may still lie ahead in your running journey. So maybe even a notepad over there and work on that bucket list. But with no further ado, here is Harry Buerta. Enjoy, guys. Harry, thank you so much for being with us here today. We, we're very excited to chat to you. We've been, we've been trying to get to, to speak to you for a while and we actually finally got invited into Harry's home. He's got his pub over here. He's got all of his medals hanging. We just spent the last half an hour having a look at all of his photos. We're very feeling very motivated and excited to be chatting to you. So thank you, Harry. Yeah, it's really a, a pleasure. And, and Nick, as I've said in the past, uh, I've told my story so many times before and I'm kind of running out of people that want to listen to me. So it was quite nice for you to ask me to, to do this because certainly I've been very fortunate to have been able to go to all these different places and enjoy my running, which, as you know, started off with the Dolphin Coast Striders. Yeah. I... Um, Lived and worked in Johannesburg for about 15 years in my own business. I retired and came down to Belito, yeah, on the north coast. And uh, being retired, nothing really much to do. And I thought, okay, let me join the running club, which exactly what I did. And uh, it was really uh, the most wonderful experience because joining that Running Club has led me on to being able to do all these different things. No, it's really, like I said to you, Harry, it's, it's extremely motivational what you do and what you have done. And I think it's, it's important that for people to, to hear your story and be able to be 
in awe of your story because I mean Leah and I sit here and just having had a look at your book and just chatting to you and there's always different layers you know yes. and today obviously we're going to try to cover as much of it as we can yes. but having spent the last few years with you I've managed to get little n- snippets here and there and I just find that there's so much knowledge in the stuff that you've learned through experience and if we can just get a, a, a few a little bit of that out of this out of today's conversation uh, for our listeners and for people that perhaps are interested in in doing what you've just done you know um, going through retirement is, is quite a difficult situation in life you're navigating a lot of change um, it's not always easy and as you said and as you told me, you know, you weren't, you were never a big runner. So running was never something that you naturally did. And it's, it's scary to, to take on something new. Uh, what was, what was that process like in the beginning? What, what was the penny that dropped that you were like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to try and join the running club. Well, first of all, uh, being in your own business and uh, with a partner, Paolo Terzi, my brother-in-law, we had a, a plastic manufacturing business which we had for 14 years and then we sold it to a listed company and then we had to hand over the business uh, over a period of 12 months so that the new owners could have continuity and come to understand the business. I enjoyed what I was doing, enjoying the work and I said, look guys, if you want to keep me on, uh, I'm I'm willing to, to steer the ship until I turn 65. At 65, that's it. I turned 65 in the September, and in the December, Wendy and I, my wife, we packed our vehicles. We had two vehicles, and one of both of them we still own <laughs> 20 years later. Um, and uh, we came down to Belita. Um, you know that. It was quite um, unusual. We always came down to Belito in December for the holiday period. Around about the middle of the month, the 9th, the 10th, we start packing to go back to Johannesburg. And it was always at like a depressing stage of the holiday. You've had your holiday, it's over, and now we've got to head back home. But this particular December, January, which was 2007, I didn't have anything to pack and go back to Johannesburg. And here I was really with very little to do other than walking around the garden and doing things. And that's where it really started, that I thought I should join different clubs and um, get involved. I got involved with the Belita Ski Boat Club. I, I loved that and at the same time, I joined uh, the Dolphin Coast Riders. Um, I joined the Dolphin Coast Riders uh, just, just to go out and, and just kind of run, do a little bit of trying to keep fit. Prior to that, I'd, I'd run a little bit in Johannesburg, but not being your own business, you don't have that much time. So I used to take the dog out. We used to jog and do our thing together, the dog, and then the dog got tired and got old <laughs> and much the same, you know, my <laughs> stage of life now. But anyway, we carried on running together until the day came that he stopped running and used to wait for me at the gate. But when I was here at, at that age, I just, as I mentioned, at 65, I, I hadn't done much running, 
But I was strong enough, I was fit enough when we were, you know, always working hard. And I really didn't, uh, you know, I was never really, let's say, a couch potato. I was always active. But I needed something more than that. Joined the club, as I mentioned. And from there, you you go out running. We have once a week, we do our time trial, which either Wednesday or Thursday night. And then as you run, so you kind of, get to know people that is running of your own speed and you become friends and then you start making your own arrangements. And that's how my running started, mm. or let's say my my travels started. I guess the question then is, if you came to Valito and joined a number of clubs, what was it about running that got you committing to it for 15 going on 16 years now was it the people was it the sport itself and having not been a runner to then leap to marathons what did that yeah. journey look like yeah i suppose one of the reasons is uh, i got a one of the sit on uh, ski boat paddle ski and first thing I'm, I'm told that to launch from Salmon Bay oh. is the most one of the most difficult places to launch. So, you know, it used to take me about 20 minutes, half an hour to find the right <laughs> kind of stage of the waves coming in that I could get out. And then I used to get out and I used to paddle along. Great fun. And I was thinking, oh, upper body strength. And I was up, <laughs> paddled along. Great. The only trouble, my stomach didn't approve of this. Uh. And I can remember this one morning I'm paddling up uh, and the sea is going up and down and I can smell the fiberglass from the paddle ski. <laughs> and I thought, no, no, I can't handle this. So I paddled and I got onto the beach and I went and sat on the beach for about a half an hour <laughs> to try and get my stomach to settle down. So it wasn't an immediate kind of thing. I don't like Paddle skiing, I prefer running. But if I found that running, I didn't really get sick. I yeah. didn't get nauseous. But it's, you know, more than that. It's the camaraderie that certainly that is absolutely amazing. And kept in, you coming back, in, I guess. In, 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 our, in our club. And it's every, every week that we get together. And then we have friends and, and people like Nick that give up their time to work our training programs. And up to that time, I'd ha I really hadn't done any distance running. You know, our time trials were either 4Ks or 8Ks, and, you know, I would progress up to the 8Ks. And then one time they said, Tonga has a 16-kilometer race. Harry, come and join us. Come and do 16 kilometers, <laughs> you know, I looked at them and I thought, mm -hmm. I just couldn't handle 16 kilometers, you know. It you know we got our kickstart program now, which has just started at the club for new runners, mm. which is five kilometers. Now that sounds more reasonable. <laughs> Come and do a five k race. Anyway, I you know I got in and and we did did the sixteen k, and then it's surprisingly enough it went Smoothly. quite well. It wasn't difficult, and it was about that time that we started you know identifying people that you could run with of the same pace. I could never run with the likes of Nick sitting in front of me uh, <laughs> who's running under four-minute Ks. My, my pace was, 
I think the best I was doing is like five and a half minute Ks in those days. And then we we ran together for a long time. And then from my 16K, there was a 21K. And we thought, okay, I've done 16K, let's do the 21. And every race, every every training run, you know, that's the days before Strava. I've got everything recorded. Mm. I can show you right now stuff that goes back from my very first time I ran at Dolphin Coast Striders. So that is like 15 years ago. I've got pages and pages of all of that. Yeah, that was something quite exceptional that you did show me. It's like pace, heart rate, everything about each and every run, how he felt (laughs) after that run, how he recovered for every single run. It's literally like the old school Strava. Harry had it going way, way, way before Strava. I patented that. I think you could have, yeah, retired twice, Harry. (laughs) But then, Harry, obviously you started with the club and then, by the next year, two thousand and eight, you were you were running your first yes. major. Yes, yes, Berlin. Yes. yes. And did you know at the time it was going to be a major, or no, absolutely not. So uh, in those days, I don't think anybody even heard of that. And uh, in those days, it was only five races. Um, it's only recently that Tokyo had been added to 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 the list, but. It was one morning I can remember quite clearly we were running with my running partner and we were coming past one of the estates, Santorini, and she says, Harry, um, my husband has been transferred to Germany and we're going to be moving across to Germany. I said, Liana, how could you do this to me? (laughs) How do I find another partner? She said, well, you know, Maybe not immediately, but it came out eventually. She said, we've never done a marathon. We've done the halves. We've done, you know, the other ones. But how about we do a marathon, a full marathon? (laughs) And the one we do is the one in Berlin. It's a flat route and, and, and. And so that's what we targeted for. So, yeah, so we... They went off and started a new life in Germany, but we kept in in contact with one another and I was constantly reminded, <laughs> September we're going to do the marathon. I said, oh, I am I? Yes, yes. And so then we made our plans and became firm plans and, and search, sure enough, we, we went ahead and we did um, Berlin. But of course, you know, like everything I do, I try and plan carefully. And the night before the race, I had to find out where the start is. And so it was my running partner and her husband and Wendy and I, we had to go. It was like 10 o'clock at night. And we were trying to find out the tear garden, wherever that was. And there was no like trains or buses that take you right to the start. You've got to go into the this this use gardens and find the start. And so by the time we got back to the hotel, it was about 12 o'clock at night <laughs> oh and we were going to do the marathon the next morning. Yeah, yeah. so, yeah, so it, was, uh, it wasn't the best planning from that point of view. But, uh, yeah. But we, the day itself, that, that first marathon? Well, it looked at just, just incredible. First of all, I... You know, I I hadn't 
experience crowds like that. Mm. It was truly amazing that we had people lining the street virtually from kilometer one to kilometer 42.2, people all the way. And then as you're running, you come across people that's got a little built up a stand, they've got music playing, they've got people singing, and you're just cheering you on. So really, really didn't have time to to think about getting tired. And uh, I might have mentioned it that um, as I went through the Brandenburg Gate, I could see the finish line in the distance. And by this time, I was struggling. My nutrition wasn't the best, being the first marathon. But as I was running, I could see the finish line in the in, in the distance, probably about 400, 500 meters ahead. And I thought to myself, Harry, you're not going to walk now. <laughs> it was You are as tired as you are. You're going to carry on running. And I tried my best. I ran and ran. And here's my running partner, Liana. She's saying, come, Harry, come, Harry. And I'm saying, oh, God, I can't. <laughs> and then with all those people around, I slowed down to a walk. And I thought, I can't <laughs> do this. I walked for about 10 paces. And I thought, no, no. I've got to put in all the effort and get to that finish line and then eventually that's how I finished. So, yeah, that was my very first marathon and certainly it was amazing an experience, which led me to the others, you know. Then you get the bug, you know. Mm. You know oh, it was so exciting. All these people and we were running, both of us, we were running in our South African colours flags and people were cheering on, come on, South Africa and... You know, you think you've been chosen from 40 million people to represent South Africa. Meanwhile, I'm a back runner. <laughs> so, you know, but that it doesn't matter. You know, you're a runner, you're part of the crowd, and, and certainly it was a, a wonderful experience. What an incredible experience. And I can see why that would keep you coming back for more. Yes, so, yeah. I mean, as you finished that first marathon, you knew immediately – this, oh, yeah. this, this is where it's at. This I got to get more is, of this. I got to get more <laughs> of this. And that friendship with Liana, I mean, having moved to a different country, what are the odds that you would become such firm running buddies that not only would you do your first marathon, but some other really cool marathons together as well? Athens and Venice, as I believe? Yes. So, um, yeah. So, Harry, that, that first marathon... Um, you were 67 at the time yes. that you finished. Yes. And you ran a 5.14. I saw it on the yes. wall there. <laughs> so That's blitz, man. <laughs> so that was your first ever marathon, 5.14 at 67. Yes. That's hell of an impressive, eh? <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, well, look again, you know, you hear the stories that 21 is not halfway in a, in a marathon, you know. You, you only find out that it's much further on. You know, more or less like 30, get up to 30, that's halfway once mm. you've done that. Mm. And and also what is, what's vitally important is that uh, you have the right nutrition, there's no doubt. Well, you, know, you learned the hard way yeah, from that no, first Yeah, certainly. So, so, yeah, it was wonderful to get through. And uh, I think in the cutoff time was six hours, so we were way, way under that mm. that limit so that that was fine and i mean you mentioned some of the others that you did with leona so you did athens venice but you went on to to run 19 other marathons yes, yes. and out of those 19 you've run all six 
major marathons, uh, that being London, New York, Boston, uh, Chicago, and then later um, doing the Tokyo Marathon. Yes. Um, I know you've got some some good stories from those previous uh, Abbots, the, the five major marathons, because Tokyo was later on. Yes. Um, yes. After running Berlin, did you then, is that when you then decide, oh, I want to try and get the other five or no no not at all it was only much later that we found out that there was something you <laughs> like, know, that. Called, like that <laughs> you know the major marathons as i mentioned at mm. that stage it was only five and um but uh, for me it was just the experience of running internationally and we no sooner got back and I decided that must do to London. It's always very, very difficult to get entries to these marathons. Mm. And uh, some of it's almost, you know, mm. people, I know people in, in the States, you know, to do the Boston Marathon, they might have tried for about four or five years before they venture and they've got the qualifying time to get in. But we'll talk about, you know, um, Boston a little bit later but it was just that the whole excitement of doing Berlin that I had to do the um, London was next mm. and to get into that one uh, I managed to get into a company that does these marathon tours or these um, yeah, the packages they do the packages and they get they get in the coast of this was a Cape Town company that I got involved with and they had 40 entries. So I, I got hold of them and I managed to get hold of and, and get a, a entry. London. So I got into London and uh, again, a great experience. Um, and yeah, look, you can go into detail, but it is just again, people and that marathon as well is, you know, there's people in costume, there's people running in full army kits, you know, mm. with backpacks and people taking like 12 hours to do it, but at least they, they, they've done it. And uh, it was great experience. And then once I got back from that, you know, I, I start getting kind of Niggly. what I do next and – I want to start training again and what I needed a goal. And my wife, Wendy, would say, Harry, find another marathon. <laughs> For peace in the home, find another marathon. I quickly found another marathon. I found New York. So New York, you know, you can go great detail into, into that. Uh, you know, on the, the races on the Sunday, we um, – you do the friendship run on the Saturday through Manhattan, and it's for the international runners. And there were 20,000 of us doing a 5K run through Manhattan. And uh, you also end up in Central Park. And again, so, so exciting again. Here we are on Saturday morning, people just, people out shopping and doing the you know, morning chores, and here we are, whole 20,000 of us running through this Manhattan, you know, in virtually in preparation for the next day for the New York Marathon. 
Well, it, it's, a, it's a big deal, these marathons overseas. Uh, and that's something that we often talk about on the podcast about how, you know, in South Africa, because of the ultras, the marathons tend to take a little bit of a backseat. Whereas when you go to these overseas marathons, especially these major overseas marathons, you're like a hero for just taking part in that marathon. Uh, do you feel that way after after finishing those majors? Oh, it's it's amazing. You know, it's TV cameras. There's people just at the finish. Everybody welcoming you, handing you you know, refreshments and, 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 and it's just so much that uh, you get wrapped up in this whole vibe. And uh, I, I certainly, uh, certainly felt it that uh, it's such a spirit. I suppose in our South African contents, we talk about our Comrades Marathon and you probably have that same camaraderie at the end with the other runners as you do in these these marathons a word that i've picked up on a lot um in this conversation harry is the people you you clearly are very much driven by the crowds the support and the people and outside of the bigger marathons that we have discussed already that form part of the abbots you've visited some really interesting and exotic places i mean to name a few you found yourself on the great wall of china you found yourself in the arctic circles even chile and the great barrier reef of australia not to mention the top of uh, everest base camp the top of everest <laughs> i mean did you have a love for travel before running or did running spark a love for travel which came first and I mean have you always booked some time around the actual event to explore the country? Well I think it might be in my genes. Um, I grew up in a, in, a, in a tiny town in Central Africa at the time it was northern Rhodesia and I stayed in a place called Kitwe. I left high school and I joined one of the, the major banks and um, I went through there, all their banking exams and I, from where we were up in the northern part of, of Northern Rhodesia at that point, our, our head office of the, comp of the bank was down in Salisbury in Southern Rhodesia, Zimbabwe and I used to have to commute before between that. But then I met two other people and we started talking about traveling. And I thought, yeah, well, why not? So we wanted to do a trip overseas and we chose, we chose the UK. You know, in those days we had something called the Overseas Visitors Club. I don't know if they still got that, but we, it's where visitors... Uh, Travelers, young people, like a backpackers thing, I suppose, that young people come from all over the world and congregate oh. with this particular club. Contiki. Yeah, we like that. Yeah, exactly. I think you've done the one of those, Leah, haven't you? Oh, I would, I would love to, but <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm yeah. working my way through some international marathon goals. <laughs> so you, you, we, what we're leading up to is how did this travel thing come in? Well. We decided that we need, not decided, but we needed to, to save to be able to afford our, our, our airfares, our accommodation while we were overseas and hopefully we would find a, a, some kind of employment once we reached there. So the three of us, we stayed in close c 
communication with each other, being in a small town. And both of them got married and I was left by myself. <laughs> so I thought, I'm still going to go. And in those days, uh, we're talking around about 1963. So guys, if you haven't realized it, I'm well, <laughs> into, I'm well into my 80s. But anyway, <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's another subject. So then to get to England, it wasn't quite straightforward. First of all, I had to buy the tickets. So these tick airline tickets, if you do it through however we find you found it out, they didn't have an internet. But I could buy two tickets or a ticket that was very airline ticket that was very inexpensive. But I was living up in northern part of northern Rhodesia and I had to go all the way down to to the south. To Mozambique Oi. to get on to this. This is where this cheap flight would fly from. <laughs> so I I said to my parents, and that's pretty well the last time I ever stayed with them, I'm off at the end of the month and I'm going off to the UK and to get to where my tickets, my flight will start from, I will have to take a train and it took about two days in this train going through the whole of northern Rhodesia and then into Mozambique and into what was those days Lorenzo Marx. And now I've got a they sport speaking Portuguese. Uh, I couldn't speak the language. And I had to find my somebody that was carrying a ticket for me to get me through to the UK. <laughs> <laughs> It, we ended up in some bar. So, you know, the days of scamming, I don't think we even knew the word. So it was purely on trust. I paid. I was told I would get my ticket once I got to Maputo. Or, and, um, and I found the person and he gave me this ticket. Oh, my gosh, I've got a ticket all the way to, 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 to in fact, it was all the way to, to Paris, France, oh, I wow. would have found. Well, I, let me elaborate a little bit on that. So the flight, it was a propeller-driven plane, <laughs> and from Maputo, Lorenzo Marx, we flew to the Congo <laughs> and landed there for fuel. The plane didn't have enough fuel capacity to carry us any further. So we stopped there for a few hours, as they filled the planes, the next thing, the plane flew all the way up into Niger in the Sahara Desert, oh where it had to land again to get more fuel. And while I was there, we were walking around, and I'm thinking, wow, it's hot here. I wonder if I can get a shower. You know, we've been traveling all this time. And there was some little ablution block. I went over to the ablution block and I saw a shower, wonderful, I thought. And I went over and I thought, at least let me wet my hair. And I turned this tap on and I waited for about a minute, two minutes. And then, doop, <laughs> one tiny drop came out. So, of course, I was really, you know, knew then that I was in the middle of the Sahara Desert. <laughs> Little did I know... Many years later, I would back. be doing, being back doing the Marathon de Sables. But anyway, 
back into the plane and this now we got we're going to fly to civilization so we flew again you almost helped the plane with <laughs> flapping your arms as it's, those big propellers are turning and got us off to to parrots and from there we had to take a ferry to get to london to get me to the overseas visitors club and once in the overseas visitors club i was at home because we were all the same. We were all travellers. None of us had any money, and we were all there just for a good time. So in no time flat, we were. I was maybe ten, fifteen people that immediately became friends, and we we stuck together. And two of those friends became very close friends. One Australian and one uh, New Zealander. In those days, you know, if you played rugby. We didn't have that same kind of rivalry. Mm. So it wasn't uncommon for a South African to have a New Zealand friend or an Australian friend. We were just, we came together. We were friends. Anyway, we decided that, okay, we're here. Why don't we travel a little bit further? And off we went over to to Canada. We had no jobs. (laughs) We just thought, but by that time, all we could fly afford was a sea trip by, by ocean. It took us about four days oh to sail from England down the St. Lawrence River to eventually we get to Montreal. So, And then while we were sailing there, we came past these icebergs and, and, and. So you asked me why did I carry on for my London marathon? Maybe that's a little indication yeah. that I just love to do the traveling part. A little premonition there. It sounds like <laughs> that was your first marathon, just the trip from Maputa yeah. to London. It's actually bizarre how travel has changed from oh, the amazing. time where you started traveling to the time that you've absolutely, been traveling absolutely. now. Absolutely. Um, yes, it, yes. It, it's crazy harry and it's uh, i think what you mentioned there again it's that that's adventure seeking nature of yours that has taken you all around the world and i I know that we're talking about the the major marathons but it's taken you to all seven continents it's it's made you run a marathon on all seven continents and on the north pole that's quite an exclusive club they call it the the marathon grand slam right yes can you explain that to us a bit well, first of all, it is when you've you've done a marathon in, on each of the seven continents. There's a little bit of a rivalry. Uh, there's two major companies that 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 do this, and one of them is where the marathon is on on one of the islands, but not in the actual Arctic Circle itself. And the other one that I did. Um, was that where we actually got onto mainland Antarctica and we flew from the Punta Arenas right at the tip of South America about a four-hour flight in a Russian transport plane. And um, quite interesting, they taken out, well, they put in seats, they put in 40 seats because there were just 40 uh, 40 of us runners compared to 40,000 in our New York marathon. So they're, you know, just the numbers. And behind us were drums of diesel, diesel fuel. And here we were sitting, you know, in front of the diesel fuel for about four hours until we flew 
over the coast of Antarctica, and then we got down to about just about a thousand k's from the geographical South Pole. We landed on a a glacier, Union Glacier, the glacier about three kilometers long, and this great big plane coming in full of diesel plus all the other supplies and us 40 runners landing on this. And it's probably one of the smoothest landings that we had. You wouldn't even realize that you touched the ice and you're rolling down. And there you are, right down virtually at the South Pole. Now, the difference, obviously I did the one up at the North Pole too, but the North Pole is on frozen ocean, whereas down at Antarctica, it's a continent. It's a continent one and a half times the size of the United States. And where we landed, where that glacier is, you have these mountain peaks coming out. So it's beautiful. As you're landing, you see this like a mountain range. Mm. Meanwhile, what you're seeing below is a thousand meters of ice. So we were seeing the tops. Meanwhile, is another thousand meters sure. of, of of Covering. mountain that's been covered. Literally the iceberg yeah. theory. Oh uh, yes. So there we yeah. So we got down to down to the South Pole and um, and yeah. what was it like running in the South Pole or nice. in the North Pole for that matter? Well, look, they were they were to you to think about it. It would be similar. However, down at the um, the South Pole, we did a twenty one k lap so we ran we did 21 k's and they had one or two places where they had some kind of a cabin that's on a sled that would be all water table and except <laughs> <Was> it liquid <laughs> well that's the problem uh, you know the thing about that is that there was serving you know like hot chocolates coffees and things but what was interesting you still needed liquid, mm. and what and your water bottle is insulated. But what they said, carry your water bottle upside down. Okay. And you wonder why. But what happens is that it freezes at the top, and the bottom is still liquid. So if you're carrying it, it um. upside down, well, then the bottom will be, then you can still drink from your water bottle. So it was really, really interesting and also down there, believe it or not, we you had long uphills. Being a continent, you think it, you know down in Antarctica everything yeah. would be flat, but certainly not. It is. We had one stretch of almost ten kilometers. You can just go on and on and on. You can just see this steady, steady climb. And also while running there, you had to make sure that you were. On a track, they they do go with a snowmobile, so it's and they flat. yeah. But what the thing about is these crevices, cracks in which you might be covered and that you don't see, mm. and you can easily fall into. So it was quite safe. And the other thing is, they really pointed out if once the wind starts blowing and picking up that loose snow, it's a desert down there, so it doesn't snow very often, but you do have this like loose loose ice, as yeah. it were, but it like, let's call it snow, but to stop immediately. As opposed to the North Pole, 
the South Pole, we got down to a minus 25 degrees C. At the North Pole, we were down to minus 42. Oh, and, <laughs> that's and, unfathomable. And 24-hour sunlight, and the marathon started at, at 10 o'clock at night. But because of polar bears... And also, again, you had great big expanses, you know, you on frozen ocean. So, you know, that's not water what you're looking at. If it's a break, it's the ocean and it's like 4,000 meters <sighs> before you get to the bottom. So we had to do a three-kilometer lap. So you were never too far away. And the marshals were standing there with rifles. So in case of polar bear attacks... And much later, when we they took us by helicopter to the actual North Pole, a geographical North Pole, and it took us about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes after getting off the helicopter to find the geographical North Pole. And somebody's walking around with a compass and he's <laughs> trying to get it to zero, zero, zero. And, and, and you're just thinking, it's so cold, <laughs> find the darn North Pole. Because once we got there, then we put a little flag hey. in the middle and there we held hands. And so we danced yes, we, around the whole of the, of the world. So we given us that photo. I think yes, we'll, we'll make yes, sure to amazing, share it. Amazing. I love the context behind it, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. so interesting, Harry. I mean, the, the adventures that you're describing, they, they really are absolutely <laughs> blowing my mind and opening my world up to such maybe new goals and new yeah. adventures. Oh, yes. I am going to say something controversial here, though. With all of your travels, I mean, you've definitely got used to being uncomfortable especially in those earlier days where it wasn't as quick as a, a three-hour inconvenient layover in Dubai <laughs> do you think that marathoners of today are perhaps a little bit soft because if I listen to what Davey has to do to get <laughs> to the start line I mean I cannot imagine that half of us would even be competing <laughs> if we didn't have the resilience that you have had to build to do all of these things. I mean, my word, the conditions, the elements, the gear, and I mean, even just the nutrition and how that would have to change from being in the ice, from being in the absolute desert in the Sahara. Yeah, I think marathoners these days have possibly gotten soft. What's your opinion? <laughs> well, you know, I always say that we are capable of so much more than we realize it. Mm. And I really believe that. And I, 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 I don't feel any different or any special. I just think that at that time, that was normal. Mm. Mm. And if we take, go back into to these times and things are so competitive and, and, and people have got to train so hard if they're going to be, you know, want to really be successful at their running. You know, as opposed to us back runners, we, we just got to make sure that we we finish in in the time that's uh, allocated for that particular particular event, but you know, really, it's it's strange when the chips are really down, when you're really really struggling. You know, you can manage, you can carry on, you don't have to stop. And I I I, I don't, as I say, I don't think I've done anything more than anybody else of my time would have done. I just feel that you know. Bring the Davies and bring the Knicks <laughs> and bring the Lears and put them into the same kind of situation. Sure enough, 
you would come through. We would have pulled through, love. But I, I, I do think that, you know, what you're describing there, Harry, is also that it, it is quite dangerous. It's not just uh, rock up, run, and everything's mm. going to be all jolly, you know. Like you say, there's there's things that you've got to consider. If there's people listening there that are thinking, oh, that sounds wonderful, I'd like to run a marathon on all seven continents, there are certain things that you have to take into consideration when it comes to it. But um, at the same time, like you said, if you're prepared and you and i i know that harry prepares a hell of a lot uh just in this this year harry took part in the marathon the sable after many years of trying to get to the sahara i think three years of trying yes, to get to the yeah. sahara and it was harry's biggest goal to just get to the marathon the sable and compete com- compete and complete one of the stages and which he managed to do and i looked through this guy's preparation and he had notes and exactly to a t exactly how many calories he was going to be carrying per hour knowing like harry plans absolutely everything um but when it comes to unplanned situations uh, and and that's when you are in in a marathon say in the boston marathon or in in one of these iconic events where the emotion can sometimes get the better of you what a I, I remember there was a story that you told me about Boston Marathon where you almost didn't make the cutoff because you were sort of getting getting swept up in, in the emotions. Well there's two that I I um almost didn't make the cutoff. One was Boston and the other one was the Tokyo Marathon. The Boston was similar to our comrades marathon where it's a point to point. We start in a little village called Peter Maritzburg and we end up on the coast uh, in in Durban, uh, and and um, it's very similar uh, for the Boston Marathon. You start off in this little Hoptington town, which you're bus to, and then go all the way down to to Boston itself. But again, you're going through these little villages, and then at that time of the year. People, it's something to do with the Confederate Army and remembering its anniversary. And you see these people on the side of the of the the lining the roads, and they wearing the Confederate uh, Army uniform. And uh, you know, you kind of and waving these flags, and you kind of slow down and have a look, and you wonder, you know, what's going on there. And then. The, the, the other thing that I think, Nick, that I've told you about in the past is that I'm, I'm running and in the distance I can hear this roar and it almost sounded like there was a football match or something going on and somebody had scored a goal and you hear the noise and then it would die down again and then and I'm carrying on running and I'm running and then I get to the spot and I see all of these young ladies lying on the side of the, of the route. And it is one of the schools, they, they right there at, at, at the side of the road. And these girls are holding up the banners and they're saying, marry me kiss me and all of these things and you're saying oh you slow down and you start shaking hands and where are you from oh i'm from south africa meanwhile you 
trying to take part in a race. Your watch is still running. And have got a time to keep. And I've got, got, got a time to make. And eventually I dragged myself. I didn't marry any of them. I didn't, I didn't make any promises. But anyway, they were a lot younger than I was. And and anyway, then the last, last bit of the race, I'm now, it's uh, 10 minutes or so to the cutoff period which was a six-hour race, and I'm coming along the last straight, and I could see the banner for the finished banner, and then I'm looking at the banner, and I'm thinking, am I going to make it? And I didn't go into detail how difficult it was for me to get an entry into Boston, but Mm. I just, I looked at that line, and I just thought, I'm not going to make it, and I'm not embarrassed to say, but the tears were running down my face. I thought, I'm not going to make this. And I just thought, I've just got to do all I can. And I ran as hard as I can. And that that was about four, 500 meters ahead. And slowly, slowly that came. And I just got there before the gun went off and oh. bang, I crossed the line. And I'd finished the, the, Boston, the, the Marathon. Boston Marathon. And I mean, just to context for the listener, at this stage, you knew that you were now competing for this Abbott's medal or certificate yes, at that stage. Yes, so this yes, was a big finish line to yes, cross. This was this was pretty well at the time because then I then I went on to do Chicago, which I don't think many people would want to do Chicago. Not that it's you know, but it it really didn't um, appeal it, to you as it, much. It, it, there wasn't. There's was so many marathons around the world that one could choose from. But at this stage, I, I knew about you know the the uh, the, Abbots, the majors the the majors. So I had to I had to do that. And because Boston is such a difficult one to get into. Yes. Well, now that is that's the <laughs> point. First of all, there's the qualifying time. And at, at my age, I was around about the 70s already in that stage. And I think the the qualifying time was about 4 hours 10. My, wow. my best marathon time at that time was Venice, and I did it in a 4.53. But again, I was, I was close to my 70s when I did that. So there was no way that I could get into the Boston Marathon on – qualifying by time alone but what they did have is they had 200 invitational entries which is worldwide they were just invitations to people from all different walks of life that you know they are runners but not special runners that would never be able to run those times so you know for me Four-hour ten at the time was really just simply mm. impossible for me to even think about doing it. Even training with you, Nick, and all your oh, hard hey. work in the gym—you uh, <laughs> know—I think it would have been a huge challenge for me. But two hundred invitational entries worldwide. South Africa got five of those. There's a population of about forty million at the time. I wanted to get one of those five, <laughs> and my gosh. It was a battle, but I managed to get one of those five invitational entries. So you can imagine when I was coming down that last straight to get to the finish, it's taken so much to get into 
into the Boston Marathon, not to have finished in time, it would have been just, just yeah, awful. So no, there we sure. are. And obviously, then you also mentioned in the same passage here, you mentioned Tokyo, which was the other one. And Tokyo is interesting because you look at the five majors that you ran previously, and you ran those between. 2008 and when 2013 yes there and thereabout yes, yes and then there was five years uh, five right. or six years and then you ran tokyo in 2019 yes, yes now yes. obviously the big factor there is also being six years older mm. you know as a 32 year old if i'm six years older it doesn't make a difference as a 70 year old six years older is a huge difference yes, on your capacity yes, to yes. run and be able yeah. to finish yeah. at a certain time yes. so what was your tokyo experience like well first of all again these world marathon majors or all of them are difficult to get into but for um for tokyo I was very, very lucky. I tried all over to get into that marathon, but I, I, I couldn't. Everybody had booked up, and I, I couldn't. It was very difficult, and I managed to get it through this Australian company. So it was really amazing for me to be able to, to, be able to actually participate. And some people try year after year to get in, and they can't. You know, there's a, It's capped at about 45,000, whatever the number is, but, you know, people want to do that because it's one of the world marathon majors. The race itself, it was, the morning was around about one or two degrees in Tokyo. It was absolutely freezing cold. And, you know, all these big city marathons, you've got to line up, you know, they... they batches. They and put you into batches. And, you know, I was in one of the slowest so I'd be in the back somewhere but um, you know I kind of looked around and thought what do I do how do I stay warm and I found a telephone booth <laughs> so I jumped into a <laughs> telephone booth and I closed the door <laughs> and and if anybody came in I'd pick up the telephone <laughs> and start as if I was you know talking on the telephone and, and then I'd walk past so I was quite warm as, as I sat there uh, because they have a little pull-down stool that you can hey, you so, sorted. So I was sitting there waiting for the race to start and fortunately this little telephone booth was right up near the... the, the um, Your batch. My batch at, at the start. <laughs> and uh, that race is also gun to gun. So, sure. you know, even if your gun goes off and you're five minutes behind, well, then... Uh, you know, you got you got you got to make that up. So I was I was really prepared, and I could see now that the batches ahead of us were now moving on. And so then I left the warmth of my little <laughs> telephone kiosk, and then I joined right up front with with my batch. And the the race started, and uh, you know, quite soon I was you know warm enough, and I was running along. But then probably around about nine kilometers, I think it was, that I saw a little old lady, Japanese lady, pointing to a watch and saying, come on, come on, come on, indicating I should run faster. And I thought, the marathon's just started. Why <laughs> should I speed up? Little did I know that another 200 meters 
was a cutoff. Oh. So they were ready cutting people off. Cutting early. people off early, even at that stage. And so I just thought, you know, she's pointing to watch and going there, and I thought, well, I better get going. So I started running as hard as I can. And as I got to this point, I saw two guys on the side of the road with a big rope, and Oi. and they were like lifting this rope up and about to carry it across the road where I was running, and I just ran past them before they crossed the road. So it was in fact a cutoff point almost at nine kilometers, and they were pulling up people off, off the route. And right as I looked on the side, there must have been all these great big buses, you know, I call them greyhound buses. They were just, people were being funneled off into these buses and taking off. That's the end of their race after all these things. So you didn't know about the 9K cutoff? Well, I didn't, I, I realised there were cutoffs, but I didn't think that at so 9Ks, 9Ks, maybe at the end, towards the end of the marathon, I'm tired, I'm slowing <laughs> down. But they had to... Because the marathon goes through the city as well, they had to have the city cleared off of the runners by a certain time. So they pulled them off. There were other cutoffs all along the route around about 20K, 21Ks and, and other places. But at, at that stage, I'd already you know got into a rhythm and I was running at a pace that got me ahead of those things. And, you know, I came so close of not getting, you know, getting through that first barrier that this whole trip coming along from <laughs> from Africa, as they say, and all the way off to, to Japan to run a marathon and only run 9Ks and then be oh. pulled off. So it was really, really quite an experience managing to get through. And then the others I was kind of aware of, mm. but I carried on yeah. running, but... As it was in in that particular event, I had about I finished with about twenty minutes to spare. And but I mean, uh, what was the cutoff the the actual cutoff time then for that marathon? Six or six thirty? I'm standing on a conviction, but Boston was certainly six hours. That could have been six and a half, but I've I've got an idea. It, it was also six, but uh, as it turned out, I finished with about twenty minutes to spare. So. Yeah, I was <laughs> very, very fortunate and uh, traveling halfway around the world to get yeah. get to that as well. So. And obviously, Harry, that was your sixth. That was the, mm, one, that was the one that granted you the, yep. the, that beautiful medal with all six medals on yeah, it. Absolutely. How did that feel crossing that finish line? You must have felt like the biggest achievement had just been made. Well, no doubt about that. You are... You're almost a celebrity having, you know, completed all six. Because as I've mentioned in the past, you know, these big marathons, it's not a foregone conclusion mm. that you can get an entry. You know, all the big ones are on about forty to 50,000. And it's, you know, people try year after year of getting in and, and it's a ballot and, you know. So I was really, really fortunate mm. to be able to get that thing. And uh, again, to be able to to finish um, all six and 
it was a special occasion. So as you came in, you ahead of time, you would have let them know that this is your sixth. So as you come in, they got a little funnel for the Abbott World Marathon Majors, and they pull you off to the side, and there they made a big fuss of me, which I was very, very pleased with, and I was handled my, my, my medal. So it was a really a special occasion for me, yes, certainly. So now, Harry, after years of traveling to the majors, it seems like the majors may just be making their way to you. As it stands, Cape Town Marathon is in its second year of trying to prove themselves worthy of being awarded the seventh major. And the reason for my question of the cutoff time is how ironic that after all these years of battling various systems of getting an entry ticket to just stand on that start line, is it that you could potentially, in two years' time, be standing starting on home soil should you qualify and should you be able to run within that cutoff? Is that something you think about? And should we be awarded that seventh title as South Africa? Is it something that you feel you would you would want to do? Well, Leah, the... Uh, I probably would be one of the few people that's got the five-star because it goes back many years. And, you know, just wondering if people would still be running mm. as I am. I'm blessed to be able to be running in, in my 80th year. So there you are. So I've got the five-star. Then with Tokyo in 2019, managed to get the six-star. So it is... Um, we have stiff competition, as I found out from Sydney, but it would be an amazing experience. And um, I've certainly slowed down tremendously, despite my bioconnectedness, who's done all he can to, <laughs> who happens to be sitting in front of me, to get me into the right condition to be strong enough to be able to go through a marathon. But you know, Father Time doesn't make exceptions and you just slowly, um, you, you lose your speed. But that would be a goal. There would be, that would be certainly a goal of mine to have, be able to have done the five star, the six star, and then to go into the seventh star. So if it's in Cape Town in another year, I'd really love to be able to do, take up the challenge and do it. But uh, let's see how it goes. I'm, you know, I'm enjoying my running now. I'm doing a lot of trail running, and uh, it's, um, yeah, it's still fun for me. Mm. And um, I, I, I think I'll be always be running because uh, having a goal, it's easier to get up in the morning to go out and do your 10k or whatever it is. So without a marathon, you know, it's it's it becomes a little bit harder. So I'd love to think that either two or three years' time, whenever the seventh of Comes the World board. Marathon Majors, whichever city that has been awarded to, I'd very much like to be part of that that scene <laughs> to run the inaugural marathon. It would be a very wonderful experience for me. And Harry, your age and, and three years' time, for our listeners to wrap their mind well, around that. It just so happens that I think it's, is it tomorrow that I, I have a birthday where I turn 
82 years old. Uh, just casually. Oh my gosh. So as this episode releases tonight, as our listeners are listening <laughs> to this right now, it's Harry's birthday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So in two years' time, you'll be 80, you'll be turning 84 then. Yes, yes. In that so, case. yeah. So certainly I'd like to be able to attempt that. And even if it's not finishing in the cutoff time, I'd like to do that. And then there's a little bit of unfinished business in the Marathon Disciples, mm. which uh, <laughs> hasn't been... You're not giving up on that, eh? Hasn't been totally ruled out, which uh, for the listeners is 250 kilometers through the Sahara Desert, self-supported over seven days. And uh, I waited three years to be able to do that and finally got it done this year, but sandstorms and excessive temperature we got up to 50 degrees celsius in the desert which made it extremely difficult but i think i could be better prepared so you know i'm might be 80 well i will be 82 but in a few hours <laughs> <laughs> but it's still you know i'm not ruling out taking part in some of mm. the bigger marathons wow harry honestly uh, you you'd never stop uh, inspiring me and motivating me with with your stories and your your grit and determination and your ability just to to keep on going and find a new goal it's honestly i think if there's any listeners out there that that are struggling to to figure out what they want to do with their running or where they want their running to take you well you certainly are uh, showing us how far it can take you and what it can do for you and your life and your experiences but from having traveled all across the world for for the sport that we love so much, what would be some lessons that you say you've learned across, you know, all the continents, across different running communities uh, that, that you could share with our listeners? If there's any, like, little golden nuggets. You know, one of the questions I've been asked many times over the years, which is your favorite marathon <laughs> And, you know, I always come back and say, they're all different. Mm. They're all different. You, you, you know, they're all wonderful experiences. And you almost, the training that goes into them, you almost have to take into consideration, like, you know, like doing a marathon up, up at the, um, the North Pole, for example, the extreme temperatures. Uh, going up to Mount Everest Base Camp Marathon and and having to contend with altitude sickness, which I got, uh, you know, leading up 12 days hiking to get to the start line. It's not pitching up in the morning and running a marathon. It's you know it's not tapering. It, there's no no vehicles. It's, it's either yak or your own two feet <laughs> to get up to the top. So. Each one of these marathons are different and you kind of got to be prepared for them in different ways. And, and certainly, as I found in the Chicago Marathon, the heat was just unbelievable. Um, it was not like in the desert, uh, in the Sahara Desert, where we got up to 52 but uh, it is extreme humidity in Chicago. We were at 32 degrees, and they have different colored flags that they, they show as the conditions get worse. And the, the last one being the black flag. Once that's being waved, 
it is the end of the race. Mm. And I think in all the years that it's been run, it's only been stopped once. So, you know, all the marathons are special in different ways and the conditions often are also different and you got to kind of do your research and find out what to expect and and try and train accordingly that is be be prepared be overly prepared is that it, that's your take home absolutely <laughs> And I guess also just loving every step. I can imagine that at so many points, I mean, we've painted this beautiful, beautiful picture of a lifetime or a retirement time of running. I'm sure that there have been some hard moments in it all. But I think the fact that you love the sport so much, I, I can only imagine that having that thought in your head while taking each and every one of those steps has kept you going. Oh, absolutely. It's certainly the camaraderie. It's the people that you you meet along the way. It's it's just amazing. And and certainly that, that has made this whole journey uh, of mine since I've retired. So I retired at the end of 2006. And here we are, mm-hmm. 2023. I'm still a member. <laughs> I'm still enjoying it. We're still going. And I'm, 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 I'm blessed to be able to do it. And, and I guess maybe thinking about the listeners who might be on the wrong side of 60 or 70, you know, all I can say is to have young people as friends and as as running partners it just puts a spring into your feet and helps you get through it all and and certainly it it makes running certainly a pleasure well we certainly count ourselves very blessed to have shared some of these kilometers with you and to have you right here on our doorstep harry um <laughs> and and just thank you so much for sharing these insights and these memories and your photographs will will put some of these awesome photographs up onto maybe to our Patreon account as well because it really is just incredible to celebrate this this lifetime of running with you and we really do hope to see you achieve all of the goals that you still do set out to achieve and if anything um, you've proven that it is never ever ever too late to start. Oh, thank you. Thank you for those kind words. Certainly, um, it is a camaraderie that one builds up over the years with a club like ours, Dolphin Coast Striders, and meeting people like yourselves certainly has made it easier and makes you want to carry on. And certainly, I've got no plans on, uh, on, on stopping now. Maybe I can't run as fast as I used to be, but I can still walk. And um, and uh, I will carry on and as long as I can and you know as I, I intimated and maybe not quite uh, past it with my dear wife, uh, which hopefully is not in earshot. Uh, there's two more, one more marathon maybe if I can get through to do the seventh uh, of the majors once that has been finalised and and maybe another crack at marathon disables. Brilliant, Harry. Well, thank you so much for chatting to us today, uh, the day just before your birthday. And we really (laughs) appreciate you making the time. And I'm sure that our listeners would have found plenty of insight into what we chatted about today. So thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Leo. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Harry. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.